to hear God's word taught today. It's stirring my heart. I've had a busy week and I'm tired. I feel it. But I get into this book, the God's word, and it energizes me. God's talking to us from his word, not in a Jesus calling way, but from his word, right? And so it is a great morning to be under the teaching of the word of God. May you have full joy today. I pray that God encourages you. Father, we thank you for a chance to gather. We've seen your praises. We've been sung too as well. And we thank you for those who work diligently at singing and practice and exalting you through song, Lord. And then corporately we get to unloose our tongues and let our voices together as a corporate group of people at the church sing praises to you. And then, Lord... By your grace and mercy, you let us open your word and study it and know it. Lord, most people on this earth would look at this text and have no idea what it's really about. There's no spirit of God in the natural man. He's left to his own thinking. But we, Christians, believers, have been given the spirit of God. And the word of God makes sense to us. We see the deep truths that you're teaching us. We see the clear illustrations to help us live this life for your glory. And so, Lord, we want to thank you this morning. It's been a busy week, Lord. Many of here have been involved in many things, Lord, and are tired. There's, there's suffering going on, Lord. There's those going through procedures and trying to get home from the hospital. And others uh, just deal, dealing with difficult relationships, Lord. But, Father, we ask this morning that you would capture us in your word. And the glory in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So give us ears to hear. Give us feet to walk, too, Lord. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Blindness is a, a very, very difficult disease. Um, when you study some of the diseases and you've never experienced them or never had them, uh, we often don't see the depth of them. Webster says, blindness is a lack of vision. <laughs> that was a pretty good definition. But it also may refer, and listen to this, to the loss of vision that cannot be corrected with glasses or contacts or lenses. Partial blindness means that you have limited vision. But here's what Webster says. Complete blindness means you cannot see anything. And then he wrote this, and do not see light. Sounds like there's a sermon there. 2010, the number of people around the world estimated to be impaired in some way, visually impaired, was 285 million people on this earth. 39 million of them are completely blind. Do you know a blind person? Stats tell us in 2010 that there's 39 million people blind 285 of us that somehow need these little things to see. Now, some of the effects of blindness, um, I don't know if you've thought through this at all. I did some reading this week on this. Um, there, are, there are difficulties that come with it, of course. Difficulty navigating outside spaces you're used to. So those who are blind, they get comfortable with their homes or where things are set, but outside of that, it's very difficult. The blind need guides, whether it be a dog or someone else to guide them along. They memorize where things are. Thus, changes are often difficult for them. There are many social challenges as well. They, also, they often cannot tell whether they're in somebody's personal space or not. They can't read facial and body communications like you and I do. I can lower my brows, and you know I'm not happy with you, Pastor Jason. <laughs> they can't see that. The limited work is available to them. They're often a risk on a job, and so often they have menial tasks that pay very little. We live in a very visual, technical world now with iPads and phones and all of those things, much of which do not help them. They have health issues. They can't see outward medical issues. They can't see something on their arm or parts of their body. They can't see that to recognize those as you and I would see in the mirror maybe. They struggle with sleep patterns. 
It's often hard for them to tell whether it's daylight hours or dark hours. They have injuries often from not being able to see. There's many more that the websites listed of what they go through. We're going to meet a man in the Bible today who had all of these. But that's not the lesson. As always, Jesus is well beyond what you can physically see. We see things and we get caught up in that. But Jesus is looking well, well beyond that. He is going to teach on spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness is a major problem. You thought those stats were high, 285 million people suffer from some kind of eye issues? Well, let me tell you this, 100% of people born in this world are spiritually blind. That's a crisis. Every person who ever is brought into this world is born spiritually blind. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us this, He says, let us affirm this together that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walked in the futility of their mind. Listen to this, being darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God. Darkened. Can't see what God is doing. Not a part of the life of God. That's our standing at birth. The eyes of the heart are clouded with sin at birth. This is a desperate problem. And, and, and there's a wicked, wicked demon behind all this. His name is Satan. He loves to keep people in darkness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4, he says, even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now listen to this. In whose case the God of this world has blinded them, has blinded their minds into unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an amazing statement. Don't blame Satan for everything. (laughs) You're not Flip Wilson. We have a big part of this, don't we? John chapter 3, John commentary on some of the subjects that Jesus was teaching on in in John chapter 3 said this, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love what? Darkness rather than light. You know, we have to settle this. That's who we are outside of Christ. (laughs) We love darkness rather than light. Our deeds are evil, John goes on to say, for everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds would be exposed. That's our position. Spiritual blindness causes a lack of ability to understand and see, well, clearly witness that in the text today but praise the lord not all people are left in spiritual blindness i trust there's many in this room by the grace of god have been illuminated have have been giving light have had our blindness removed from the gospel and that's a supernatural work and and we're going to see god heal somebody and that's supernatural but your salvation God taking the scales from your eyes, taking you out of darkness into his marvelous light is an absolutely supernatural work. And you know why it's supernatural? Because no human can do it. John records Jesus' word in John chapter 12, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, for a little, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. And, and listen to these words. These are, these are penetrating so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. This is who he's dealing with in this text. And today, he's going to prove his point. People who are born spiritually blind, if not by the grace of God, they will continue to reject salvation through Christ alone. And there comes a point where God says, I give them over. Romans chapter 1, 24, 26, 28 quotes that over and over. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Jesus exposes this form of blindness as he approaches the city of this of the triumphal entry. Remember, he comes in just the week of his death. We call it Palm Sunday. He he comes in and there's there's 
just great joy and people are throwing down palm branches and they're throwing down their coats and, and there's great, great excitement. Uh, they, they've heard about him. He spent Moses' ministry outside of the city of Jerusalem and he's ministered out there. Now he's here and people are excited about him. But God, our Lord Jesus Christ, knows exactly what's happening. And I want you to listen to these words as he speaks of the, of the city, as he looks at it. Luke chapter 19, 41, he says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Why is he weeping? Why is our Lord weeping? Saying, if you would have known this day, even you, the things that make for peace, and that's not peace like don't want to fight anymore, that's peace with God. And then he says this statement, but now you have been now they have been hidden from your eyes. What an amazing statement. See, all the euphoria about Jesus movements and, and people who really get into Jesus and healing and all the things. Some of them he looks at and says, You're blind. You're blind. They seem to have crossed the line of no return. And, and I want to warn you, only Jesus knows this. Only Jesus does this. We don't have any control over this. God doesn't tell us who these people are. We keep seeking out people to the 11th hour. We don't know who is the thief on the cross the last moment. We don't have this job. That belongs to God. But you need to know this is why the scriptures speak. He looks at these people and says, they're hidden from your eyes. Today's text will witness several things. We'll witness eternal blindness as Christ gives these religious leaders over to their hard hearts and their coming destruction. We'll also witness temporary blindness that we as believers can go through when we don't repent of sin and, and move from our selfish thinking at times. And then you'll see Jesus in the end of this text amaze you to show you that he has the power and authority over all blindness. And it's all connected. That's why I'm trying to teach through these verses together because it's all together. It's not, it's not three different events. He wants you to see it all together. So turn with me now to Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Our first thought this morning is eternal blindness and those left behind. We want to deal with them first here as the text gives it to us. Verse 11, the Pharisees came out and they began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation, beginning of verse 13, leaving them. We'll stop right there with that. Well, after Jesus and his disciples have been ministering out through this Vassive uh, Gentile region of Decapolis, they've now returned and they've come back across the Sea of Galilee and they're back in the Galilee area for one more time. And verse 10 says that they've come into this Dalamuth area. Uh, Matthew calls it the Maladen area. It's about 10, 15 miles just south of Capernaum, there on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is going to meet one more time with his religious leaders of the Galilee area. He wants to show his disciples something. He's there for just a short moment. The contrast between them is obvious. If you look at what he just came from, he was just in the Gentile world. They accepted him. They followed him. They honored him. He clearly had some divine appointments with deaf men and others. He was going to feed a bunch of people there. He was teaching his disciples that God was going to save the Gentile world, that he was going to save people from every tribe and tongue and nation, and he wanted them to see that. But now he's returned so the people who are pagan, who are outside of what Paul would say in Romans, the oracles of God, the Jews were given the oracles of God, they're outside of that. They seem to greet him. They seem to want him there. But here he comes to his own, and his own forsake him. Notice these men were spiritually blind, and it was an eternal condition. Immediately, Pharisees came out, look at this, and they began to argue with him. 
Well, there's several characteristics of eternal blindness I think we see in this passage. And, and I know it will go through your mind. You're going, well, hope, I think. You think, Lord, thank you that I'm not eternally blind. You may know somebody who is blind to the gospel. These are some truths that maybe resonate when you try to witness to somebody or, or you're trying to pray for somebody. Notice, first of all, they came out to argue. One of the first traits of eternal blindness is they're fighters. They're, they want to argue. The Greek syntax of the structure, we, we write it out this way. We say, they began to argue. It's a strong word. It means it carries the idea that they're coming to start something. That's the idea of the word. Here comes that Jesus. Let's go get him. Notice this arguing is often the marks of unbelief. You don't argue with something you actually agree with, do you? You know? Your favorite team, whatever. Oh, yeah, they're great. No, you argue something you don't believe in. And so immediately they're marked by their unbelief. Notice it clearly. They came to argue with them. See, pride fights. Pride defends itself. And these men are looking for a fight. And notice who they're fighting with. The creator, the sustainer, the savior of the world. (laughs) They have no idea of the unfair fight they're up against. And yet, what the Lord is doing, and I believe he's showing his disciples here, is he wants them to see the difference between those who follow him and those who reject him. There's no question they didn't believe in a historical Jesus. Today, we don't have Jesus walking on the earth with us. We have actually better. We have his words in the whole book recorded for us. But there's no question that he's there. And yet they reject him. They do not believe that he is the son of God. And so they fight. And that is a clear indicator of eternal blindness. Another indicator of blindness is also found in this text. Matthew 16, 1 is the parallel text. And and without turning there right now, it says the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out. And I think this is an important note. Eternal blindness finds others to attack with you. That's what it does. They find others. And if you think about these two groups, the Pharisees, they were hardened legalists. They held fast to their oral traditions and, and they, they added to the law constantly. And they, and they actually, what they did was they placed their traditions above the scriptures. This was what they were known for. They also hated the Gentile world. It was unthinkable that Jesus would go across the Sea of Galilee and go among those pagans and touch them. Notice the level of arrogance and pride that was in these Pharisees. The Sadducees, they rejected the Pharisees' oral traditions, but they gave lip service to the Torah. So they're another group. They did not get along very well. They rejected the Pharisees' view on angels. They rejected the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. You would be sad, too, if you're not going to ever get out of the grave. They had a lot of other problems. They loved the temple. And they loved handling the policies of the temple, particularly the money. (laughs) They were known for, uh, on sacrifice days, for you to bring your nice little lamb that you have selected or purchased and then say, ah, well, that's a good lamb, but it ain't good enough. But for 1995, I got another one. (laughs) And they would do that constantly. This is why Jesus overturned their tables, ran them out of the temple. This is who... Jesus was dealing with. They were lovers of money. They were lovers of power. But they were haters of the Pharisees until Jesus came along. And isn't it interesting, one of the marks of those who are eternally blind is they will find others to attack with. And when Jesus comes on the scene, they buddy up together like they had never been apart to go after the Lord Jesus. This this combo was just fueled by hatred. They did not want Jesus stealing their authority, their power, and so they fought against Jesus. Another sign, the third sign of eternal blindness is demanding outward works. Notice in verse 11, they are seeking a sign. They seek from him signs from heaven to test him. And and, and we know, we've been studying Mark here, he had proven over and over, he had shown many evidences of his power and authority. But because of their religious life was based on outward behavior, they were devoid of faith. And I want you to understand this. Faith healers have nothing to do with faith. 
And people who pursue that and follow that, it has everything to do about sight. And justification doesn't come by sight alone, it comes by faith alone. And if you want to find somebody who's eternally blind, they always try to get to God by sight. And they're left outside. And that's what they're doing. Show us something, Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the ultimate sign. You want a sign? Look at me. I'm from heaven. I'm from God. And so justification only comes through faith alone in Christ, by Christ alone, through his word alone. And these men proved they were eternally blind because they had rejected all of these. And you think about that. You try to come to the Lord by, by evidence, you're not going to make it. You try to come other than Jesus, maybe Jesus and something, you're not going to make it. You reject his word, which he was standing right there pouring forth his word before them. They heard him preach. They heard him say he was the only way to the Father. He was the truth and the life and all of that. They rejected the word. This is a mark, a sign of eternal blindness. There's also a fourth sign here I think I see in this text. Is there is a sign of rejection from Christ. There's a rejection from Christ that identifies eternally blind. Notice in verse 12, sighing deeply in his spirit. Hmm. You know, Jesus sighed when he was with the deaf man in Decapolis, but it was a different sigh. He was... There was an emotional side. He connected with him. He felt sorrow for him. He had compassion on him. But this is a di different side. This is a deep side. This is in response to this faithless, dark, hard-heartedness that had fallen upon these men. And rather than responding to faith to the Savior, their hearts just hardened more, and Jesus sighed at it. Take notice at verse 12 that Jesus seems to gaze by them and look to another generation or the generation behind them. Notice he sighs deeply in his spirit and he says, and you can almost see this, why does this generation seek for a sign? See, they're going, show us a sign, and he sighs and goes, oh. And he looks right through them as though he's looking at this entire nation as a whole we know that God saves some out of this even out of these leaders Nicodemus others come to Christ out of this but for for, for the purpose here in, in this in this note here he looks past him he looks at this in generation and he sighs deeply like their forefathers and their forefathers before them who fell in the wilderness Jesus saw this generation and they were going to walk around in their blindness and they were going to stumble over him. They were going to stumble over Christ and they would never enter eternal rest. Seminary this week, um, our class, I've been teaching the general epistles in Revelation. We were deep into the, the epistles of, the, of John, the Jolene epistles and and over and over and over it tells us that the Antichrist, those who are Antichrist, reject Jesus Christ, the one who came in flesh. Over and over. They do not believe in his humanity. They do not believe that God could take on human flesh, that matter could, could be sinless. They could, never, they could never get their minds around those things. And John marks them over and over as those who stumble. Hebrews says they fell in the wilderness because they were disobedient. Peter says this about them, that they stumbled um, over Jesus, who was a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, for they stumbled because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were appointed. You say, well, that's, that's pretty harsh. Well, don't you think God knows everything? I and mean, A lot of people struggle with this verse because it says God appointed them to doom. He knows everything. He knows their hearts. And so they are appointed there. Look at the parallel text, Matthew 16. Just turn there real quick with me because I want you to see this, what he's doing. Because there's a little more commentary here in Matthew 16. And he uses, a, he uses a text there would have been very little debate over. Matthew 16, verse 1, the Pharisees and Sadducees came up and they were testing Jesus. There's where we see the Sadducees enter this. And they asked him to show them a sign from heaven, but he replied to them, When it is evening, you say it is fair weather, for the sky is red. 
And in the morning there will be a storm today and the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky? Cannot discern the signs of the time? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And a sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. No, excuse me, there will be no sign given except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and he went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea and they had forgotten bread. <laughs> Jesus' reply is amazing. He goes, look, you guys are pretty good weathermen, but you're terrible theologians. It's not the truth, right? What do you talk about when you don't know somebody? Do you think they knew Jesus? So Jesus says, you can have great discussions about the weather. You can look out there and say, it's going to rain, it's not, let's go to the beach, you know. But you don't have any idea who I am. So all you have is the weather. Isn't it sad when you have a relationship with somebody that all you can talk about is the weather? And really, this is what this is. They read the skies, but they could not read the scriptures. They saw countless miracles and power on display over demonic world. He had done over and over, but they could not see him. And John says in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures in order to find eternal life. Meaning I look at the scriptures, I go, okay, I didn't do this, and I, I didn't eat that, and I, I, I didn't go there. And he says, you are mistaken, the scriptures are about me. And people do this all the time. They study the scriptures, they make a little list of why God should accept them. I'm not like that guy, I'm not like that gal, I don't do those things. And they go right to hell. Because the scripture's about Christ. Proving over and over that he is the only way. So many look into the scriptures. And they find all kinds of things and miss Jesus. But Jesus did not, excuse me, but Jesus did say, you get one sign. You get the sign of Jonah. Well, what's he talking about? Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. He's talking about death, burial, and resurrection, isn't he? It's a very clear prophecy of what's going to come. And they did not even get that right. I mean, they probably walked away and go, Jonah? What in the world did that mean? And, and, and there was no connection, no connection when he died and he was buried and resurrected. In fact, here's what the Pharisees did, the religious rulers did. They paid off the Roman guards so they could say that his body was stolen. Even to that point, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when he was seen by 500 people and his apostles and all who witnessed the, the, uh, excuse me, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, their hearts were so hard and they rejected it. But there's one more evidence as you turn back to our text in verse 13. And it's found in just this few words that start the, the verse. Leaving them. Leaving them. Hmm. This is the fifth evidence. The Lord leaves you if you're eternally blind. In a sense, Jesus was spelling out their terminal condition. And only God knows the heart of man. I want to repeat this over. We do not know this. We do not give people over to anything that's not our job. That's what God does. But in a very real sense, Jesus was abandoning them to their own self-righteousness to die in their sins. He's given them over. John 8, 21, just shortly after this, he has another run-in with another group, and he says, you will die in your sins if you do not confess me as the Son of God. This is serious. He, they are blind, leading the blind. Matthew chapter 23, he articulates very clear. Your blind guides to the blind. He was done with them. And the Bible says Jesus left them. It's interesting, this is Jesus' final conflict with the religious rulers of Galilee. He, he never runs into them again that we can see in the scriptures. He makes a pass through there one time but does not deal with them. And his teaching and his miracles now are primarily for his disciples. He's doing this for a lesson. It seems in the text that he gets off the boat, has this interaction, wants them to see these guys, see their eternal blindness, puts them back on the boat, and he leaves with them. He wants you to know there's people out there who will reject Christ to their death. And he wanted his disciples to see what they were going to deal with. 
But then we move and the scene changes a little bit. And here's our second thought. Temporary blindness needs the grace of God. Temporary blindness needs the grace of God. Follow with uh, verse 13 with me. He again embarked and went away to the other side. and And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. He was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the facts that they had no bread. And Jesus was aware of this, saying, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have hardened hearts? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? Well, here's a clear contrast going on. And and you go, well, Jesus is kind of tough on them. No, I I want you to see he's he's making a contrast between these religious leaders, these, this apostate generation of Israel here, and yet he climbs back into the boat with the disciples and he heads across the sea and, and he's going to a new direction. But unlike the eternally blind, those who are left in darkness, this group does believe in him. They may be weak, <laughs> they may be forgetful, but they believe in him. There's a difference. And I think if you and I look closely at this text, we might see ourselves hanging on to an oar in this passage. Going, did anybody bring bread? (laughs) So, now they have the light of the world. The one they have followed in the boat with them. And they're rowing along. Well, it's it's good that the disciples were former fishermen because they they just go back and forth across the sea so many times. And here they're kind of cutting the corner of the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. They're, they, they've left this Magadan area, and they're, they're working their way up to where they're going to land just outside of Bethsaida. So they're cutting that north, northwestern, heading for the northeastern corner off here, and they're on their way up. But on this occasion, Jesus wants them to see that they're not immune to blindness themselves, and yet it's temporary blindness. <laughs> and I think this is where we struggle at times. On this occasion, disciples were displaying this well-known problem of selective blindness. We see things we want, we're, we're struggling away, but the Lord wants to show, him, show them that he can heal all of that. Look at verse 14 with me. And they had forgotten that to take bread and did not have more than one loaf within them. So Jesus, he's, he's, he's concentrating on these eternal things. He's just dealt, dealt with these these men in this generation that's apostate to him, he, he's dealing with intense uh, conflict with these people controlled by the one who works in the sons of disobedience. And these guys are in the boat and, and all they have on their mind is lunch. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? The king of glory is really doing battle with Satan in a lot of ways because he's behind all this with his men and all they can think about is Lunch. I was kind of wondering when I wrote this, I mean, how many of us here are thinking about lunch? <laughs> Man, we're dealing with internal stuff here. Lunch will come. And I think that's what he's doing here. Look at verse 15 with them. And he was giving them orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, he wants his disciples to learn what they're going to have to look out for. This eternal blindness. And notice it says he's giving orders as an emphatic repetition is what it means. He keeps telling them over and over. The, uh, and the disciples clearly could not know what Jesus knew. But the Savior wants them to understand what's coming their way. They're going to have this opposition in their, in their apostolic positions in just uh, less than a year. He wants them to know. And so he gives strong warnings. Look at verse six, um, excuse me, look at verse 15. Watch out, beware. It's an imperative. It's a, 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 a word that we would translate um, to see, but it's, it's way more powerful just like look at that. It's, it's like, look out! <laughs> I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. Um, you can imagine they're just grabbing that oar just a little tighter like Jesus is pretty wound up about this because they actually don't see what, what's going on. They're, they're still a little bit immune to the, to the wickedness of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then he uses this little phrase, you know, leaven. 
Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and, and the leaven of Herod. Uh, Matthew 16, 16 includes the Pharisees in the leaven end of it. And leaven, you know, if leaven gets just, just the smallest amount of yeast gets into, into the dough, it's over. It, it exposes all of it. And if you have celiacs or, or something like that, you're, it's not good for you. Because yeast is just is so small and cannot be seen. It, it, it has an ability to fill the room. And so he's warning of this. And you'll say, well, what does he mean, the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the yeast of Herod? Well, it's in the form of sin, right? Pride, self-works. Men, you need to be ready because your self-righteousness is going to rise up. These men are going to try to kill you. They're going to try to go, out of, go after you. They're going to take off to your families. They're going to do all those things. You're going to try to protect yourself. You're going to bring up pride. He's going to beware of this. Beware of the self-works. You're going to have people that are coming around you, and they're going to want to pat you on the backs, and they're going to want to be real close to you, and they're going to want to try to earn their way from salvation through their own good works and their relationship with you. This is the leaven. It's externalism. It's materialism. It's denial of truth. And then he talks about Herod. Isn't that interesting? He throws Herod in the middle of this. Well, Herod was, Herod was wildly immoral. Um, he, he loved the power and the culture that was around that, that he could be king of this little area. And he's warning them, be, be, be mindful of that. I'm going to give you authority like you've never had before after my resurrection. And you're going to be able to heal and do things and speak in my name. Beware of that. Don't go out and buy a bunch of fleet of jets. Have you seen that in the news lately? <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. I mean, these guys that run around, these faith healers and all this, you know, prosperity, wealth, gospel, I mean, they're buying fleets of jets. Jesus is saying, beware of that. They love money. They love power. They love authority. Beware of that. And they're thinking, well, I don't know what we're going to eat. And here Jesus preaching this passage, uh, his passionate sermon to them. Herod killed his own family to keep his power. And even with this passionate plea, they're thinking of lunch. Look at verse 16. And they began to discuss with, with one another the fact that they had no lunch. I can't, uh, the Greek guys in here who are learning Greek, go back and look at 15 in the Greek. Jesus is very passionate in this. <laughs> and then it cracked me up as I'm studying this because I look at verse 16 and they're going, well, the facts are we don't have any bread. And that's what they kind of get down to. So the cross is less than a year away. Your apostolic position is going to start in a year. You're going to be, the, the church is going to explode underneath your ministry. I, I'm confronting the enemies that will hate you because they hate, hated me right in front of you. And you want to know about lunch. So uh, let me, let's put a little application to this. You and I sit under the word of God, whether we read it personally or we come to church uh, or whether you're discipled. You and I have this tremendous blessing of the gift of the word of God. And then a trial comes into our life and it's like we forgot everything we learned. Uh, you hear me saying we in there? We do, don't we? We, we, we see Christ in all of his glory that he can heal and he's strength and all of that. He wants us to be drawn to him and wants us to trust him. And, and, and we go, man, that was a great sermon. Or, or wow, I loved my devotions this morning. I really dug into the word of God and boy, I was encouraged. And one phone call and your day goes different than you thought it was going to go and everything is forgotten, isn't it? See, I don't want you to be pointing fingers at these disciples too hard because we're in the boat. That's us. Lord, you saved me. I was on my way to hell for eternity. And you saved me. But somebody, this waitress, brought the wrong sandwich to me and I want heads rolling. <laughs> this, is that how we act sometimes? And we forget the graciousness of God. Just earlier, Jesus had told them in Mark 4, he said, listen, I've hidden the mysteries of the kingdom of God from them, but I've revealed them to you. You should see this. Well, we're just hungry, Lord. I can't think on an empty stomach. Verses 17 and 18. 
Jesus pins them down. He says, aware, being aware of this, he said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have hardened hearts? Having eyes, do you see? This is almost what he said, just opposite of, of those who didn't believe. Do you have ears and do not hear? Do you not remember? And then he goes through this whole bread, right? Nine, uh, 19 and 20, 19. How many, how many baskets did you get? Well, yeah, we got 12, you know. How many baskets with the seven? Well, we got large, seven large. They actually repeating word for word what actually happened because the Lord brought it back to their mind. And the disciples, they're not in the same place as the religious leaders. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to do. He goes, look, don't live by sight. Live by the light of God. I've given you a new heart. I've given you a new mind. And you're worried about food? I create food. <laughs> I give it to thousands. My power's infinite. You yourself said, who is this in the boat with us that even the wind and the waves obey him? And you're worried about bread. As I read this, I, this let the scriptures rebuke my own heart of times of you know, where you just get overwhelmed by circumstances. And you go, God, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how you're going to fix this and fix that. And, and how is this going to happen? And what about this person? And, and you start going all through those things and, and worry starts to take you and you start to fret. And, and then you go, he creates bread. He owns the th- cattle on a thousand hills. He cares whether I lie down or whether I sit up. He knows if I go to the depths or to the heights. And you begin to say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm just going to keep rowing here, okay? I'm going to keep pulling on this or because this is what you have me doing right now, I'm going to pull on this. May I trust you. And Jesus there in 19 and 20 brings back to them the remembrance of what he has done. I think the doctrine of remembrance is a great part of our orthodoxy. Jesus himself said, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance is so important. And brothers and sisters, let me challenge you. If you're struggling with something, you better stop and remember what God has done. Because if not, your problems are going to sweep you away. And you'll start to look for another Savior in a sense. Not not a loss of salvation, but you'll start to look for another Savior. You'll look for some financial way to get you out. You'll You'll do something. You'll compromise. You'll do something because you won't trust him in this trial. And I think he's talking to us. Notice verse 21. And he said to them, do you understand? Matthew 16, 12, it acknowledges. They say we do, we do understand. So I, I love the fact here. Now think about, just think about here before we end the last point. Is he's showing a difference. These men he leaves before. They're eternally blind. He tells them they're darkened in their minds. He leaves them. These disciples are acting very, very selfish. They're, they're, they're forgot who's in the boat with them, and yet he stays with them and brings them through what they cannot see. Do you understand? And that's happening to us today. Maybe you're here today, and I've said a few words here from God's word, and you're going, yeah, yeah, that's right. Man, I've been fretting over this, or I've been fretting over that. I need to remember what God has done. I need to remember. Look at the last thought here number three christ displays his power over blindness verse 22 and they came to Bethsaida, so they're docked on the shore there of the northeastern corner of sea of galilee and they brought him a blind man and they implored him to touch him and so here he's taken this lesson of these eternally blind people he's spent time with them rowing across and and trying to help them understand their temporary blindness, that they need to trust God, need to remember back what Jesus has done for them. And immediately, as soon as they hit the shore here, here comes this blind man. And, and, and just real quick, if you think about this blind man, in the ancient world, this is a death sentence. The, the Jews, Jews didn't want to deal with him. He was unclean. The Gentiles, he was a problem to society. They need to be removed He had been probably begging his entire life, but there was someone there. It says in verse 22, I want you to catch this, I want you to miss this through all this, that they came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man. They, look at that plural uh, pronoun there. They brought a blind man to Jesus. Somebody had pity on this man. And Jesus is going to use this. He's going to say, okay, 
I, they've seen the eternally blind. I've showed them they're temporary blind. I think I'm going to give them a little lesson here, a physical lesson. But in the middle of it, Jesus sees that they've brought this man to him. And I just want to poke just at you once. Who are you bringing to Jesus? Because I thought, I read all this stuff on blindness this week and, and thought, oh Lord, thank you for my physical sight. I surely appreciate that. Especially thankful for my spiritual sight. But it really, it was really touched me. I thought, wow, that, this very, very debilitating disease. And yet there's someone here, someone in this text. All they are is they to us in this text. They bring them to Jesus. Who are you bringing to Jesus? I, I think that's a, that thing is a great point. Lord, who, who are we bringing to you? Um, they're imploring Jesus to touch him, and I've prayed that so many times. Lord, touch their hearts, Lord. Please touch their mind, touch their heart. Open their mind to you, Lord. Are we bringing people to Jesus by prayer, physically saying, hey, would you, could we sit down and have a conversation? I'd love to share what I believe. However that conversation works, working your way to have one with somebody. It is amazing that God lets us be involved with his miraculous work of changing. But notice verse 23. He takes this blind man by the hand. And he brought him out of the village. He got him away from the people. And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? It, just like the, the, the deaf man, it's interesting. Jesus takes this man by his his hand, this is the, the Pharisees would have never touched this man, would have never come close to this man, but he's communicating care to him. Physical touch communicates so much. Nurses are taught to touch their patients in a way that they, they, they know that they care. As a catcher, I'd have a pitcher that was really struggling out there and trying a hard time finding the strike zone. We learned that. Sometimes just put their arm on them and say, hey, bud, we can do this. Kind of snaps them out of the funk. Touch does something, right? Jesus touches this man. And he says, look, I'm, I'm here. He's communicating. He can't see, so touches the way he communicates. I'm here, and I'm about to do something for you. Takes a man out of town probably to get away from the health and wealth groups that were hanging around. And he's getting him away from all those who neglect it. And here, as we talked about this with the deaf men, saliva was believed to be a healing power. And so Jesus is using culture at this point to communicate, I'm about ready to transfer healing power to you, man. And I care about you. And so Jesus asks the blind man after he touches his eyes, do you see anything? And I think this is precious. And because, I think about, you go, well, well, he doesn't heal him the first round. Does he strike out? Does he miss the first pitch? No, no, I think he's after something here. I, I, I think this, he's, he's wanting his, his disciples to see something. And so he knows what he's going to do, right? He's not, he's not like he's going to go, oh, well, hmm, let me get a little more power coming here. <laughs> he's, he's the creator of the world. <laughs> so why does he do this? He wants his disciples to see partial blindness. And so the man responds, isn't it incredible, he asks the man, do you see anything in verse 24? And he says, well, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Well, guess who those trees were? They're probably the disciples. Because <laughs> Jesus brought them out of town, got them away from all the health and wealth group, got them over here and said, hey, I care for you. And I want the disciples to see something. And, and so he's looking dimly at things. And, and brothers and sisters, that's what happens to you and I when we fall into sin, when we don't repent as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers in Jesus Christ, things get foggy. Am I not right? You, you want to know the will of God and you want to live in sin? Foggy. <laughs> it's when we repent and we believe, Right? Things clear up. And I think he's doing this. He's, he's so good at what he does, doesn't he? He could have just said, hey, see. He's the creator of the world. Disciples are going, huh, I think he's talking about us. <laughs> We're the knuckleheads in the boat with the creator of the world that are worried about lunch. He's connecting. This is what Jesus does. He loves you. He knows you. He wants you to see him clearly. And he wants to help you clear up your vision. <laughs> and I pray there's people in here, myself included, that our vision's getting a little more clearer today of what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Just in closing, I think there's an intimacy here. You know the old song, In the Garden? 
theologically wise, we struggle with it a little bit, but it does have a preciousness to it. It says this, he walks with me and he talks with me. He tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I think that's what Jesus is doing with this man and, and his disciples. He looks at them and sees their need. And so he, he comes back again, and he, in verse 25, he lays his hands on him again, and, and then it says, look at this, verse 25, and he looked intently and was restored, and he began to see everything clearly. All the while, the disciples are looking on, watching what Jesus is doing, and here he shows, look, I'm the one who has power over blindness. And, and just in closing, Nicodemus gets his eyes open somewhere in this process, right? He's part of that group that Jesus would have looked at that would deny him and didn't know him. He, he has the ability to do that. Um, and, and I want you to see the comparison. And Nicodemus gets saved, who, who Jesus says, you're blind guides to the guys, he's, to, the, to the blind. He's speaking of all of those religious leaders, but he pulls Nicodemus out of that. He speaks to these, these disciples and he says, you have temporary blindness. Don't you remember what I've done? I'm the creator of food. I do all those things. But in that group is a Judas. Don't ever count him out. He saves people that you can't even imagine. And for us, he will pull the scales off your eyes. And, and maybe you or myself have some scales today because we've lacked living by faith this week we want sight and he says no believe me and so lord i pray that the lord will open our eyes today we'll know him better and love him greater and in more details father we thank you for the word of god it's so rich we could spend so much time in this we seem to only scratch the surface of the depth of your word but but yet we've learned lord there there are people there are people who finally reject you and you let them go and yet even in that, you still save in the 11th hour, it seems. And yet there are times we, who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, are in the boat with you rowing, and we're more concerned about lunch, and you're trying to teach us about eternal things. And so, Lord, help us uh, remove these foggy lenses off of our eyes that we have at times, Lord, that we would love you and walk with you. Lord, we thank you for this lesson. We pray that we would be people that would bring people to Jesus. You're a great Savior. You can take people who will be eternally thrown into the pit of hell if left to themselves. And you are a God who can change their eternal residence. So help us bring people to Jesus. And help us not to be stumbling blocks by being foggy-eyed Christians. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your patience with us. Just like the disciples, you're patient. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.